Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Before we start with the series, uh, I want to ask y'all, some people, I want you to raise your hand, some people are morning people. If you're a morning person, kind of, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can kind of, don't worry, you're not like going like this, don't worry, you're just, you know, raising your hand. If you're a night person, you know, kind of give a little nod, night person, okay, night owl. Some people are vanilla ice cream fans, or vanilla, but who's a vanilla? Yeah, here we go, Cohen. I mean, he was ready for vanilla. What about a chocolate, chocolate person? Okay, all right. So obviously, some people might not agree with me on this, but obviously there's not a right or wrong answer. It's not like if you're a night person, you're a bad person. If you're a morning person, you're a good person. It's not like if you're a big fan of vanilla ice cream, you're wrong, and you're a big fan of chocolate, you're right. Those are just opinions, right, okay? Sometimes I'll hear people say things, though, where they'll say, man, that person is really kind or really generous. You know what I mean? Just very, and you kind of describe, and some people say, oh, I'm good, good at remembering names, and I'm not really good at remembering names. And sometimes the thing I kind of want to say is, I, I kind of want to go, you know, those things, kindness, generosity, those aren't things that are like, oh, that, you know, they choose to be kind, and I'm not really a kind person. You know, it's, we all want, we want all of us to be kind. And today, we're going to be talking about generosity, though. And we're going to talk about how, yes, some people, we, we look at them and we go, that person is a generous person. When I was preparing for Ernest Erickson's funeral, an overwhelming thing that people said was, Ernest is generous, radically generous. And what I want to talk about is, as we go through this series, uh, I've been waiting and trying to figure out the best time to start this, but a key thing to me when we talk about God and the powerful and the powerless and God's heart for the powerless, it comes deeply from the fact that we have a God who is a God of justice. And sometimes when we hear the word a God of justice, we think about hellfire and brimstones, and that's a shame, because what we should think about when we hear a God of justice is that we have a God who, when he hears the cries of his people, he wants to give them justice. He wants to help them and redeem them. That's our God we have. And I'm going to talk this Sunday and the next three Sundays about four aspects of what it means that God is a God of justice. And today I'm going to be talking about God's radical generosity that we see throughout Scripture. And my challenge to you is, is for us not to just go, man, isn't that great that our God is so generous? But our challenge is to see that as His image bearers, we aren't just supposed to be people that go, you know, there's a handful of us that are pretty generous, but you know, I'm not the most generous we're all supposed to be generous people with our lives, and we're going to see that as we go through this series. Now, this is something that I would say my preaching professors would say is not the way you should preach a sermon, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick a handful of texts. We're not going to be in one main text, and I'm going to look at three main topics. Maybe you could say four. Three main topics of how we see God as a God of radical generosity. The first one is in Luke, if you want to turn there in your Bible. Luke 16, we're going to see Jesus talking about this. Right before this, Luke 16, 1 through 9, I thought about reading it, but it's a parable of the shrewd manager. And it is by far the most confusing and difficult to interpret of all the parables. So I decided to stay away from it. But if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it in Wednesday night class. But after Jesus tells that parable, he comes and he talks here. And, and Luke, of all the gospel writers, Luke is the one that talks about money more than any of the other gospel writers. And Luke says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. 
And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be with dishonest with much. I keep thinking of Joseph. You know, throughout Joseph's story, the reason he keeps on getting promoted is because he keeps, you know, Potiphar entrusts him with a little, and he does great with that. And someday, eventually, he gets to speak in front of Pharaoh, and God, and he, he's entrusted with that proclaiming God's vision to Pharaoh. And eventually, he's the one who's the right-hand man of Pharaoh in Egypt. Keep, he keeps on being entrusted with a little, and he keeps being given more. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. This is in Matthew and in Luke. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so the first topic that we, I want to talk to us about today is that we are stewards of God's things. I decided not to say we are stewards of God's money because it applies to everything. But it, be thinking, this is something that we are stewards of God's things and specifically God's money. Uh, Floyd said when he was doing communion, he said this is a time where we give back to God what is his. And yet many of us struggle often to not see our home, our land, our money, our property as ours. And yet throughout scripture, we see over and over it, everything you have, everything you own is God's that he has entrusted to you to be a good steward of. The first time I remember being at the hospital and holding Landry Joe, I've said this before in class, I'll probably say it a million more times in sermons. I can't tell you how much I kept thinking to myself, I don't deserve to be able to call her my daughter. I just feel like I've done so little to deserve this miracle in my arms. Yes, I know how the science works, but I don't feel like I get to be the one who says, I wove these fingers and toes together. I gave her these eyes, this hair, this beautiful child. I don't deserve any of this credit. And I also kept thinking, when I live my life, now that I'm a almost 30-year-old, I think to myself quite often, I don't see myself as my parent's child, as my primary identity. Does that make sense? I am Drew Ritchie first. But yes, I know I'm my parent's child, but this baby, all I could think is, for most of your early life, you're going to be my daughter in most people's eyes. But you're your own person. You know, she is her own mind, her own heart. You, you can already see it. Her own personality. She's herself. And all I kept coming back to is, and I kept saying, like, God, I want to spend my whole life not seeing Landry Joe as mine, but seeing her as yours. And what can I do to be a steward of being the parent to this child? Does that make sense? Hannah, whenever she prays out to God, she cries out to God and she says, God, please, I want a child. I want a son. I, I would do anything. Eli comes up to her. Eli is Hebrew for my God. Eli comes up to her and says, you know, please stop coming to church, into the temple and being drunk like this. It's embarrassing. You're all over the place. And she says, I'm not drunk. It's, it's a great it's a great twist of words. She says, I'm not drunk. I'm actually pouring out my heart. Does that make sense? It's like a twist of drinking. She's like, I'm not drinking. I'm pouring out my heart to God. And God answers her prayer. And the first thing she does after she's weaned the child is she brings her son back to God, to the temple. And it says that she dedicates him to the Lord. And we hear that story and we think, wow, what a radical gift. And, and that's true. What a radical gift for her to give this thing that she wanted so back to God. And yet, I think that's how we're supposed to treat everything we have. All of your money, all of your possessions, everything you have, your children, your family, your homes, your jobs, they aren't yours. They are God's. 
that God has entrusted to you a little bit. And with that little bit, the question is, are you going to be someone that is trustworthy in a little? Because God is going to keep giving those who are trustworthy with a little more that he wants for his kingdom. And by the way, when I say more, does that mean he's going to make you richer? Probably not. It might mean he gives you more responsibility. Okay? All of this sounds nice, this idea of God entrusting us with things. All of this sounds nice, this idea of us being stewards of God's things, stewards of God's earth, God's community, God's school, God's children, until it comes time to take that money or that thing out of our pocket and to give it away. And yet we see over and over the message that God says is part of being radically generous is an understanding that when you give, you're not losing anything that's yours. You're giving something that was never yours to begin with. Second topic. This one I'm going to read from three passages. This is in the Old Testament. We see this at play in the story of Ruth. But here's where that story comes from. In Leviticus 19.10, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Oh, did I have that up there? Uh, I, may, I, maybe put the, uh, I maybe put the wrong thing up there. But I, anyway, that's, that's in the Bible. Deuteronomy 24.19. Deuteronomy 24.19. Oh, here it is. Here's, here's what I had under Leviticus. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. Notice that every time God tells them to do this, he's mentioning, and people refer to these often in the Bible as like the triumvirate of the unfortunate in the Bible. The orphan, the foreigner, and the widow. People that are powerless. And then lastly, I want to mention this one. You might be sitting here thinking, so let me get this straight, Drew. God is commanding his people that whenever they make a field of crops or they have their vineyard, that they should leave the margins for just anybody to come. Doesn't that sound like a way to really get manipulated and taken advantage of? Well, here you go. God's got, a, God's got some instructions for those people. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but do, you must not pick a sickle, put them a sickle to, their, to the standing grain. And so you see he's saying like, now also you people who are unfortunate, don't take advantage of this. Don't come in and be taking all their stuff. But you know that you're in need and we have left margins for you. And so come in and get what you need to live that day, but don't be coming in you know, making a profit off of this. Does, do you make sense? You with me? And so this thing that I want to say for this topic, if you're a note taker, is that God calls us to live with an expectation to help the unfortunate. Many of us probably would be perfectly fine if Deuteronomy and Leviticus had said this. Plow your field. Be really diligent about getting everything. Get, go over it two or three times. Get all that you want. And after you've made a great profit, take a little bit of your profit and give it to those in need. But see, that assumes that you make sure that you're taken care of before you make sure that anyone else is taken care of. You with me? And here we see God, a God of gener radical generosity, has built into his people. Hey, listen, I'm a God of generosity. And part of that means that you need to build into your process margins for people that need you. Don't assume, and, and th I'm thinking about my time. I know, how many of you would say that you're a busy person? I would think, I think I'm a busy person. I think I run often on, on, there's times where I just tell Catherine, 
by the time we just do the basics of picking up after the kids, of cleaning the house, like just the basic cleaning, not even deep cleaning, I don't feel like I have anything left to do other things with, okay? And then whenever you get the call or the text or something where someone says, hey, can you help me out? Oh, I don't have room for this person right now. I don't have time for this call. I don't have time to help out with this. But if I were to do a better job of leaving margins in my life for those situations, then instead of it being, oh, I'm already tapped out. I don't have time to help you. It's, this is good news that you called because guess what? I have a little bit of room that I've been saving with the expectation of being able to help people out. Does that make sense? And this doesn't just go for your your time. This also goes with your money. I am honored. I want to tell you something. I spent five years at my last church and three or four times a year we'd have an elders meeting about who was going to get up and remind the church that our budget is in really bad shape and that we need them to give more. It is my honor that I have been here for more than two years and have yet to be in a conversation where I've had to say, all right, y'all, you got to pony up. The budget's bad. We're, if anything, we're doing fantastic. And so let me take this as an opportunity. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard a sermon on generosity, and it's because at the very end, the preacher's going to go, so you know we've got that capital campaign coming up, and I just preached on generosity, so get those checkbooks out. So I have good news. That's not the end of this sermon. But I will tell you that part of Catherine and I's tithing is we do it in such a way so that it's not, well, when things are good, we're tithing, and when things are bad, we're not tithing. Every time things are tough and we write the check to tithe and to give, if anything, it's a reminder to me, I just chose to put my trust in God more than my money because things are tight right now. And I've created that margin in my life and us to give. And are, are we, oh, y'all are incredible Christians because you give of your money. No, we are just the bare minimum of exemplifying the radical generosity we see from God. Now, I'm going to hit you with a bunch of passages from Proverbs now, so buckle up. You're probably not going to be able to write all these down. Uh, so if you want to just write the numbers down, you can. But I've got three or four slides like this. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. These are all from Proverbs. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Do you notice that? Whoever gives to the poor lends to who? To God. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So, with all of these, we see over and over a theme in Proverbs of something where clearly God's heart is a heart that is towards those who are powerless and those who are in need. And that for us to give generously and be thinking of these people is not, in my opinion, is not supposed to be this man, wow, look at this saint. It's supposed to be built into our very identity as a body and as a community. That this is what we're a part of. It's taking care of those who need it. And this is the question. I found this quote. It's incredible. And it sums up all of these proverbs in my mind. This is from Bruce Waltke. Don't know who he is, but he wrote a great quote. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. 
The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. That's good stuff. Uh, I thought of a really corny illustration, but my mom used to make killer Texas chocolate sheet cake. She still does it. She just doesn't make it as much. By the way, Josie's is phenomenal too. And my mom would put half pecans, half without pecans. I liked either side. My sister did not like the side with pecans. So often, I would sneak a piece from the non-pecan side because that left more pecan pieces for me later. <laughs> you with me? Okay. So, you know, I'd be like, who wants a piece? What do you want? I knew that my sister only wants the non-pecans. So I should go ahead and get all the pecan side, right? Because I like either. But I would frequently have one or two extra from the non-pecan side, knowing that meant I got more pieces. You with me? I was willing to disadvantage the community so that I could have more pieces of chocolate. Obviously, this is a kind of a cheesy analogy, but we do this. We do this frequently. There are plenty of times where we as a people the community is going to tell you that disadvantaging the community for your own advantage is not sinful, it's not wrong, it's not rude, it's good business acumen. You with me? But our God, his character says, are you willing to disadvantage yourself so that the community can be better? You with me? So, I have one place where I'm going to step on your toes and then I'm going to wrap up. All right, you ready for the toe stepping on? Your feet ready? Okay. If you really cringe at this topic, if you really cringe at every time I read a passage about helping the needy or the poor, it likely means one of two things. You ready? Your toes ready? You think that every poor person is poor because they are lazy or because of their own bad choices. Why should we help that person? They should just work harder. Why should we help that person? They just aren't, you know, they've made some mistakes and that's on them, okay? And we see in Scripture over and over that there are often times where people are in difficult situations because life is difficult. You see, I already referenced the story of Ruth. The reason why Ruth is having to glean in the fields of Boaz is because her family was in a famine. They had to tra tr move to Moab. And then there in Moab, the husband dies, the sons dies, they're destitute, they're both widows. Is that because they were lazy? Is that because they... Is that because they weren't hard workers or they, they made some really bad choices in their life? No. It's because life was tough. Okay? The second, if you are cringing at this topic of helping the poor or the needy, it also, it, there is a good chance, means that you think all your money and your possessions you have is because you work really hard and you've been really good at life. And God has blessed you. You with me? You know, I, listen, my bank account, my money is flush because I work my tail off. If other people worked as hard as me, they'd be as rich as me too. And that doesn't take into account the fact that I was blessed to be in a family where my parents paid for my college. You think, you want to know how much that set me ahead by not having any college debt? That's not something I did. You want to know how much it helped me in my life that I had two parents that stuck together? You know how much that helped me? I didn't deserve that. I didn't do anything to earn that. And for many of us, if you learn to see your possessions, your family, your money as God's that he has given you to steward, you're going to have a much easier time with giving to the needy because you don't think you earned all that you have. You with me? Okay, now that your toes are crunched, I'm just kidding. Many of you are incredibly generous. I just know that I was worried about saying those things so I didn't want to offend anyone. So I warned you to watch out for your toes. This all comes back to me, to this quote, and to this idea that Jesus is the epitome of God. 
In 1 John it says, no one has seen God, but you've seen Jesus. And if you see Jesus, you've known God. And God was, Jesus was incredibly, radically generous with people, and especially with the poor and the disenfranchised. Jesus was always there with the Samaritan woman. He was always there with the leper. No greater example of what an outcast would look like than a leper. And Jesus was willing to disadvantage himself to the point of going on the cross so that the community, so that for God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son so that we could have eternal life to his disadvantage. And so the thing I want you to hear as we conclude is that our God is radically generous, especially to the poor and the powerless. And if you find yourself ever thinking, well, isn't he generous to me? Yes, he's generous to all of us. Thankfully, he's equally generous to all of us. But he knows that he lives, we live in a world where the power and the powers that be often will trample over the power, the powerless and those in need. And he says, I need my people, my church, my body to be especially on the lookout for them, for the fatherless, for the foreigner, and for the widow. You with me? All we have is God, all we have is God's, and we are stewards of it. God is for the orphan, the immigrant, the widow, and the powerless. And we bear his image when we do the same. We are called to be generous because we have received generously. If any of you would like to have anything we could pray for you about, if there's any of you who want to talk more about your faith and giving your life to Christ, elders are going to be standing at the doors, and I'm going to be up here if you'd like to talk about that, or come see me in the middle of the week. And uh, um, if you have any prayer needs, the elders would also be, love to talk to you about that as we stand and as we sing this song.